Uh, good morning to you all. It's good to be with you. I've missed a couple of weeks. As you see, a bit husky voice. Between us, we'll get through. If I cough a little, I'm sure you'll forgive me, won't you? I hope you will anyway. Today we're starting a, a series on Second uh, Corinthians. So before we get into today's passage, we just need to have a bit of a, a, a look at the background of Second uh, of Corinthians, and then uh, we'll get into to today's passage. Uh, the, the topic for today is God uses our affliction for good. Is that hard to believe? Sometimes maybe uh, difficult times. God uses them for good. Well, let's see what we can learn about that as we go through that later on. So Paul planted the, the church in Corinth. It was there for about 18 months and it was a hard, hard job. Difficult people, difficult circumstances, uh, a lot of unrest, uh, the, the, the struggle with the, the Jewish people totally rejecting the message. He said, okay, only I've dealt with you, I'm going to the Gentiles. And so this, apparently just about next door from one, like we were in one church to another next door almost, it wasn't like that I know, but he, here he is and he's, he's got this other group of people now and the church starts to grow, it thrives and, and, it, and it does well, but it's still uh, a, a rocky sort of journey for the church. Corinth was a, a sort of anything goes kind of place. Corinth is, is in, in we know today as Greece and south of Athens on the, there's a little, there's lots of little islands and peninsulas around there. That's so Corinth is on a very critical part where lots of people came through, lots of different types of people. So after he'd been there for about 18 months, he, he moved on and then he wrote a letter to them, which is what we have as 1 Corinthians. Uh, uh, lots of issues he had to deal with there. Once again, conflict in the church, disagreements over over work of the Holy Spirit and tongue speaking and people getting all upset and in arms. And he had to deal with all of these things too in, the, in this first letter. He wrote that while he was Ephesus. But there were some people in the church that didn't respect him as a person. Uh, they didn't think he was uh, worth listening to. He was a bit of a wimp and all this sort of thing. My interpretation, it doesn't say wimp in the Bible, I know, but yeah, it, that, that was the sort of the feeling that, 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 that people were getting. They didn't respect him, they spoke against him. And there was a, a, a real stirring up within the church. And so Paul made a second visit. He went there to deal with the rebels, basically. You can see him all fired up and ready, he'll fix this lot here, you just watch me. And then so he, he went there, and this, this uh, second visit's mentioned in Second uh, Corinthians. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says this, So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. Another. So he's talking about a third visit. The second visit was painful. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad, but whom have I grieved? I would not be distressed. I would, I would not be distressed by those who would make me rejoice. The first visit was painful. This, so the second visit, when he went back to deal with the problem, people was painful, was difficult, and it really hurt him. There's other verses in Second Corinthians that mention about this particular trip. 
So from that trip he went back to Ephesus again. Lots of travelling around for this man, wasn't there? Back to Ephesus again. But then he heard from Titus that um, maybe things weren't as, as bad as he as he'd thought. Uh, sorry, no. Let me go back a step. He wrote, after that second, he wrote a letter. We don't have that letter. It's disappeared, but he refers to it a couple of times. A, a particular letter where he said some very hard and difficult things. And, uh, and, and, but then Titus came later and said, Paul, it's worked. The people have changed. Their attitudes changed. And so you, you, we're making some progress slowly with these difficult people in this difficult church. And so that was, that was good news. The, the Corinthians faith and Paul was much delighted and in fact in 2 Corinthians 7 we read about his thankfulness and, and the results of, of Titus's message so then he, he says okay letter time again he writes his third letter pity we don't have that second letter it would be fascinating to see them all fitting together we only know that they are written because he talks about the letters that he's written so here is this this third letter, 2 Corinthians, which is the one we're, we're about to study together. And it's, it's, a, it's a very different to a lot of other of Paul's writings. So let's, let's think about this book itself and some of the, uh, the purpose and themes. So a new danger had arisen in the Corinthian church. Is that a typical church, do you think? Problems? Difficulties? Hmm. We've seen it, haven't we? We need to be careful against that, don't we? We need to guard against that. This particular church was in a place that was attracting the sort of people that had their own ideas. And so this, this danger that had arisen with some ultra-Jewish believers had come from Jerusalem, and they, they'd come and said, yeah, you're all wrong, you've, you've gone on the wrong track, you, I'll, I'll tell you what you should be doing. And so they were, they were wanting to, to bring the, the believers there back to the traditional Jewish way of doing things. Uh, you've got to do this, you've got to keep these laws and all these these rules and regulations that they had. And, and Paul refers to them as super apostles. Uh, super? Mm, pretty tongue-in-cheek, I think, that wasn't it? These super apostles, he, he refers to them a, a couple of times. And we'll, we'll pick up a bit of them as we go through this book. So... Um, <clears throat> The super apostles could not have um, uh, seemed to the believers in Corinth. They, they seemed to be the really good people. They were Hebrews, Israelites, descendants of Abraham. That's a good start, isn't it? Uh, they were servants of Christ. That's that's really really good. And they came with glowing letters of recommendation. They'd come from from uh, Jerusalem. They had these lovely letters. These are good people. Well, this must be pretty good. They even taught about Jesus and the Spirit and the Gospel. They're all references we'll see, you could see in chapter 11 at some stage. But, uh, all their experiences and all their appearance and claimed experience, Paul is clear that they were in fact false apostles, deceitful workmen. Chapter 11 says that's a strong statement, isn't it? Deceitful workmen. And they were servants of the devil. Chapter 11 verses 13 to 15. Very strong words, isn't it? Very strong words. Servants of the devil. <clears throat> uh, super apostles maybe, but Paul concludes they were false brothers. So here we're, we're set for a standoff between the Paul, 
and these false teachers that have come into this, into this particular church. So the, the whole letter of 2 Corinthians is focused on, on, on Paul and his, and his, I was going to say attack, it wasn't really an attack, but he's, he's trying to, to turn the Corinthian church away from error and lead them to the truth. Um, they were saying some pretty hurtful things about Paul. For example, um, a couple of things I'll mention. Uh, in chapter 10, verse 10, he, 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 they say that he, he writes weighty letters, but is impressive in person. Unimpressive, sorry. Unimpressive in person. So when you read what he says, you could almost hear the words thundering out of the page. But when he stands and preaches, they say, oh, just a bit of a wimp, this guy. You know, he, he doesn't match is what they're saying. And his speaking amounts to nothing. Chapter 10 also says that they were saying about him. There are other subtle digs at Paul, and uh, we'll, you'll see them as we work our way through the book over the next few weeks. So, to our passage today, and as I said, uh, it's, it starts off, it's, sorry, the, the topic is God uses our affliction for good. And, and Paul talks about uh, this then in this first passage. Affliction, but hang on, shouldn't Christians have a plain, easy sailing life? No problems, no difficulties, isn't it like that? Well, not exactly, is it? Definitely not, in fact. But Christian life is not like that. We live in a sinful world, a fallen world. People are around us, things around us. We have our sinful nature, unfortunately, pops to the surface sometimes and causes us to do things we shouldn't do. Uh, so it, it's, it's, not, it's not easy going. I, I remember uh, in 1969 we took a young Greek Cypriot lad to the Billy Graham crusade at the My Music Bowl and he went out to the, to the appeal. He had lots of problems with this, this boy. He'd been into drugs and uh, LSD and all sort of stuff. And he went out to the appeal and he, and, he, and he came back and said, all my problems are over now. I'm sorry, Cosmo, it's not doesn't quite work like that, does it? It's not like that. That's it's a pity he, he understood it that way. But when we, when we come to Christ, God is with us and through us in these things. That's, that's the thing you need to know. So how do you react to difficult times? Have you considered that maybe God can, can or will use them to grow you in faith and draw people to him? The term uses these afflictions for good. Is it my good, his good, or both? Maybe both, maybe all. In 1996, Elizabeth and I took a group of people into China to do about 30 building workers to renovate an old, old building, which was later known as Oasis House. It was about April... It was autumn there, northern hemisphere, it was autumn, it was cold, it was dirty. This old building was just a very filthy old building. It was dirty and it was people from about five different countries, almost all total strangers to each other, came together and they had to work together and to understand what was going on. New materials, new ideas, different this, different that. And life was, was very, very difficult. And after a week or so, I just got a sense of 
this is not going very well. This is afflictions coming on us right at that time. And each day we used to have a, a devotion, a prayer time and devotion. And so this particular morning I said to the person who'd been asked to do it, he said, I'd like to do it today. And so I read these verses from Second Corinthians, interestingly enough, chapter 7, um, verse, from verse 7. And these are these people that are struggling, that are suffering afflictions, and these are the words from Second Corinthians. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Abandoned, uh, so persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. They were really going through a tough time. This was a turning point. This was a turning point for these people. When they realised that, that God is with us, we're just a little... We're just a, a jar of clay that the treasure's in there. And, the, and it got hold of them. They understood. And as I say, this was a turning point. God used our affliction for his good and for our good. The, the, the whole thing is, is just, it's a long story. It's, a, it's ICC today who we support financially. This is where, that's where it all started there at that particular old building. But you see, God is able to use the affliction to restore our purpose and renew our strength. And I think it's important for us to always remember that and think about that. So let's now look at this uh, particular section. We'll read from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, just the first uh, 14 verses. Let's take a drink of water first, if I may. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we are experiencing in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. 
On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Now this, this is our, our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you with integrity, with godly sincerity. We've done so relying not on the worldly wisdom but on God's grace. We do not write to you anything you cannot read or understand and I hope that as you understand sorry as you understand us in part you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we boast of you on the day of the Lord Jesus. Lots of talk about boasting and, and comforts there, isn't there? We're not going to look at all those things today. Just a few things we want to particularly note here. Now, Paul goes right at the start in the first verse at, at one of the big issues. He describes himself as Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Sees these super apostles saying he's not an apostle, he's nothing. And he goes straight to that very point, right in the, in the very first sentence. Uh, what is an apostle then? Well, the word apostle means a sent one. Jesus took his 12 disciples and designated them apostles, the the New Testament, the Bible tells us. So he he called them sent ones. And from that point on, and by the way, we need to note that they were people who saw Jesus after the resurrection. That seems to be a fairly critical point in this issue. So Jesus... uh, uh, designated them apostles, he sent ones. But where, where does Paul fit in? Did Paul see Jesus? We don't even know if Paul did see Jesus, do we? After the resurrection, not too sure. But Paul is saying he's an apostle of Jesus Christ, appointed by God. And no, no matter what the super apostles might think, Paul is certainly one of God's sent ones, one of God's leading people within the church in those early days. Uh, it's evidenced by his life and, and what he does. But he did see Jesus, didn't he, come to think of it? On the road to Damascus, he really saw Jesus there, no doubt about it, in all his glory. He, he didn't see much after it for a little while, but he certainly saw Jesus. So, yeah, he, he fits the bill, I think. He certainly is an apostle. <clears throat> You notice what Paul called this strife-riven church? He called them the church of God. The church of God. It wasn't um, uh, just some group of people that had got themselves together to, to do things as in a Christian kind of way. This was God's church. And even though there, there was strife and trouble, uh, Paul saw them, it goes on to say, and his holy people. The church of God and part of a group of holy people. Despite the struggles and the strives and the, and the misunderstandings and the anger even going on in this, this, among these Christian people, they were still God's church and they were still part of God's holy people. And so Paul gets that really clear right in that introductory uh, passage there. 
And the church, the, the letter was written to Achaia, it says. Now, Achaia was that wider area, not just where Corinth was, but a much wider area of Greece. So there's Christians dotted around, and so the message was for all of them too, he tells us. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Just the very thing this church needed, wasn't it? They needed to be great, God's grace, to be gracious to each other, to be able to show God's grace, a huge need within this church, and peace. They needed to know the peace of God in their hearts. And, and this, this is why he's writing. He wants to bring grace and peace to this warring group of people. Strong language, isn't it? Warring. But that's what was going on, sadly. But that were, those things were resolved, thankfully, too. Interestingly, the, the, almost the last verse of the book, chapter uh, 13, verse 11, says, be of one mind and live in peace. So the, the, right at the start, he's, he's talking about God's grace and peace. And then at the, at the end, he brings the same message be a one mind and live in peace. <clears throat> so let's get to this God uses our affliction for good. So Paul gives thanks to God, thanks for God's comfort. Verses 3 and 4 really lay the foundation for what he wants to say. Just let me read them again to you. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. <clears throat> the, the words from the Message Bible are helpful. It says, He comes alongside us when we go through hard times, and before we know it, before you know it, He brings us alongside someone else who's going through hard times, so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. Let me give you that again. It's worth hearing again, I think, isn't it? He comes alongside us when we go through hard times and before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who's going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. That's really the, the crux of what he's saying in this, in this whole passage. <clears throat> the word comfort here is interesting it's not just you know, sympathy, I pour you, pat 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 on the back, no it's, it's, it's a lot more than that, it goes much deeper than that uh, he, he wants to bring help and hope help and hope uh, and so he th- this, is, this is the reason he's talking about these, these, uh, this, uh, this process um and because of his own suffering, he's equipped to pass on God's comfort to others when they suffer. Uh, um, <clears throat> you know, God is able to use our times of affliction for the good of ourselves and others. The favour God gives us are not intended to make us cheerful, but to be a blessing to others. Always aware of the God-given opportunities to serve others. So that the, the God being with us through these hard times and we stand by each other through these hard times, these difficult times that we may come across is to 
rise us up as people and, and that we might be a blessing for other people. So in verse 8, Paul goes and talks, goes on and talks about his sufferings in Asia. Not exactly sure what that refers to, uh, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he gives quite a list of sufferings that he's endured. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23, 2 Corinthians 11, it's here somewhere. 23. Are you servants of Christ? Down a bit further. I have um, worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've laboured and toiled and have gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and gone without food, cold and night. And so it goes on and on and on. You reckon you've got some problems? Hey? He talks about his sufferings in Asia in, in verse 8. It, it could be referring to uh, his time in, in Ephesus when there was a riot and, and all sorts of things going on there and he's just rescued from that. Maybe that's what it is. But it doesn't matter. The issue is that Paul knew what suffering is about. He knew what it was like to have affliction big time, didn't he? And uh, he, 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 was, he, was, he had great empathy with these people that he was, he was seeking to support here. So whatever it was, it's no, it was no small incident. In, uh, in verse 8, he talks about being great pressure, far beyond our ability to, to endure, and despaired even of life. So he was, he was some, some large incident that was going on. Paul is basically saying, if you think, if you think you know what affliction is, listen to me. Do you need comfort in your difficult situation? I can do that. So he, his difficult times had given him great empathy and understanding of people and their sufferings, be it the church in Corinth or, or anywhere else. So God was empowering Paul and empowers us through the afflictions we may endure to stand with God's people through times of affliction. So Paul allowed, uh, Paul's suffering allowed him to rely on the Lord, not himself. Chapter 9 says, sorry my glass is not too good this smoke at the moment. Chapter 9, indeed we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. So he, he'd learnt not to rely on himself through the difficult times and the suffering, but to rely on God. In uh, verse 11, gives us another flow on from this. Uh, um, then many of us will give thanks, or many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. 
So the, the suffering and affliction, what had it done? It had led the people to pray. And the people had been praying and supporting each other. Uh, you, you, a bit like our Oasis House incident, wasn't it? What did we do when we were suffering and struggling? We came to the Lord in prayer, we read his word and we prayed together. And, and it, was, it was a turning point, as I said, made a huge difference. So his point is that uh, the worst affliction and difficult situation, God is able to use this to encourage and uplift his people. I wonder how that sits in your situation. Uh, difficult times, uh, struggles, uh, anything at the moment, I wonder, health issues or family issues or whatever it might be. Whatever the, uh, the, uh, um, the affliction might be that you're suffering, God is able to use it for good, for your good and his good. You might not think that when you're going through it all, but Paul clearly makes it, makes it very clear that it draws us to the Lord to rely on him and it draws us to him in prayer. And it's interesting too that Paul's affliction produced three things he talks about in other places. Faith, hope and love. Those doesn't use those actual words, but the, the, the theme is there. Paul's afflictions, verse 9, it produces hope, verse 10. So verse 9, faith, verse 10, hope, and verse 11, love. And so the, the, he grew spiritually out of the difficult times and the struggles that he went, went through. So the comfort he received was spread across to others now because of the blessing that he's received through these times he's now able to be a blessing to other people. So this is how it worked out for Paul and how he encouraged the Corinthians to do the same. But what's the everyday reality for you and me? Is it just theory or is it really reality? Can we make it work in our lives that afflictions will be, God will use afflictions for our good? Let me just give you just a few New Testament references that might help us. Romans 8.28, very well-known verses. We know that in all things, God works for good for those who love him. All things, yeah, difficult times, afflictions, fun times, great times, whatever it might be, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Romans 5.3 and 4 says... Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. It's hard to see that sometimes in the middle of suffering, isn't it? Perseverance, character, and hope can come out of this if we allow God to teach us through them. Isaiah 26, verse 3 says, You will keep in perfect peace whose minds are steadfast perfect peace through suffering God keeps us through them Philippians 4 7 the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus this, this is the number of it again isn't it guarding our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus as as we as God gives us this peace he, he then grows us through it 1 Peter 4 Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that will come on you to test you 
as though something strange was happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory of God rests on you. Insulted because the name of Christ is a blessing? Well, yes, it is, isn't it? Because God is with us. He sustains us. We, we, the, these things can lead us to rely on the Lord and, and God's people to pray. And the last one I'll give you is Proverbs 3. Do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resist, re, resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And it may be times of struggle, difficulty you go through. Maybe the Lord's wanting to teach you something particularly. He's wanting to speak into your heart about, about things you need to learn. Maybe some, uh, willfulness in regard to himself or disobedience to his word. But God also does that because he loves us. It's why he might bring difficulty and, and discipline upon us too. So he's suffering an opportunity. Oh, sorry, he's suffering a problem or an opportunity to grow and give thanks. Where do I look for comfort when I suffer? The comfort comes through Christ and the support of God's people. As, as we might have times of struggle and difficulty where we need to be comforted and, and, and supported, let's draw together as God's people. Let's support each other. Let's stand together so that, so that we'll be drawn close to the Lord and to be people of prayer as a result of it. So let's be people of prayer right now, will we? Let's close in prayer. Father, we pray that you'll help us to, to understand the lessons you want us to learn out of difficulties and, and troubles within our own lives and within our own church, even our own families. Help us to grow in your grace and knowledge and understanding as we draw near to you, Lord, so that we might be the people of God, that we might learn the lessons that Paul was wanting these, this willful wayward church to learn. And we thank you, Lord, for the, for the, the, the things that you taught them and the changes that came about within them as they, as they learned of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.